Good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Josh. Um, I'm the associate minister here in charge of all the youth and children stuff. So you don't normally uh, see me on a Sunday morning, but it's lovely to be with you um, today. The, the picture in youth work at the moment, although it's coming to an end, is the season of exams. You probably all remember exam time. Maybe it was stressful. Maybe you were really good at exams. I don't know. But I did what all good youth leaders should do and thought, how can I lighten the mood in this season? And so I went to Google for funny exam answers. And we're going to take a look at a few of them just now. Some of you will have seen these before. They're going to come up on the screen. So, yeah, name that quadrilateral. Someone took that pretty literally. Let's keep going. I love that. Expand. Brilliant. Yeah, keep going. Hmm. It's correct. I probably. Maybe it was signed in lots of places. Yeah. Yeah, it's good as well. That's my favorite. Find X, it's there, look. Don't stress about it. Some of you are trying to work out X now, aren't you? Stop it. It's not about today. Is that the last one? Perfect, it is the last one. And um, today we're continuing our series, WD, WD, WWD, which means why do we do what we do? And we're looking today at teaching. And we've just seen some examples, probably deliberate, definitely amusing, of people getting it so wrong. And in the grand scheme of things, an exam doesn't matter too much. But actually handling the Bible well, that does matter. And exams uh, can't save you, but the content of the Bible does just that. It can save us. And so teaching it well matters. And that's why today when we look at why do we do what we do in looking at teaching, it is a huge responsibility to say, yes, this matters, and yes, we need to get this Right, so let's read today's passage in your pews at the ends. We have a few Bibles. We're going to go to um, page 1196. This letter is called To Timothy, and it is also written to Timothy. No? Sorry. I I basically haven't preached in this context from To Timothy, and I've always wanted to make that joke. So thank you for humoring me. 2 Timothy 3. Verse 14 is where we're starting from, page 1196, and I'm going to read through to chapter 4, verse 5. Verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, they will suit their own desires. They will gather around them a great number of teachers who say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their eyes, ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you. Keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. God, I thank you. It's your word that brings life. And I pray this morning as we open your word and look at what it says that you will bring life to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So why preach? Why teach? Why have this section of the service 
at all. We were taught so well last week on why we do what we do in singing. So why not sing? Sing and then respond in song to the singing that we've already done. I hope in the next 20 minutes or so, I'm allowed 19 to 23, I think it is, but I'm not totally sure, that we agree that by the end of this, that actually this is a really important part of what we do here on a Sunday, that handling the word of God well and teaching it well matters. So let's dive into the passage, shall we? So chapter 3, verse 15, teaching makes us wise for salvation. It tells us who Jesus is. Concealed in the Old Testament and revealed in the New. It teaches us what he's done for us. And how to, as verse 14 encourages, continue in working out and living out our salvation. Chapter 4, verse 1 reminds us of Judgment Day. That there is an eternal significance to salvation. That we are saved from something. We're saved from death. One of my first vivid memories of hearing the Bible unpacked and the gospel unpacked was at Soul Survivor. Um, and a guy who we're going to get to know a little bit better next week called J. John, preaching at Clapham Sunday, he did a, a gospel talk, essentially. And I remember the kind of the title of the talk was, Don't Become a Christian Yet because I've got another reason. And he just kept going through all these reasons for why the Bible was true, why the person of Jesus could make a difference in my life today. And I became more and more convinced, but I had to hear it from God's word. The gospel teaching and understanding God's word makes us wise for salvation. So why teach? To be wise for salvation. Verse 16, the start of it, says all scripture is God-breathed. Scripture is authoritative. It is God speaking to us. If that doesn't make us sit up in our pews, I'm not really sure what, what will. It's God to you and God to me. And then I wonder how often we let that kind of truth sink in when we're coming to open the Bible, that it's God speaking to us. Chapter 4, verse 3, it's going to come up on the screen, talks about this sound doctrine. And earlier in the book of 1 Timothy, in chapter 6, verse 3 to 5, we read instruction from Jesus to godly teaching, warning against being robbed of the truth. We teach to know the truth of who God is, and who he says we are. Take the phrase today, my truth. We have people who can say one thing and something else, and they can be opposed to each other, and yet you're both allowed to hold your truth as truth. The awkward claim of Christianity and the awkward claim of Jesus is that he doesn't say, I am a truth. He says, I am the truth. So actually, when we are saying the Bible is authoritative, it's a call to live by the story of the Bible and no other story. It's a call to live to the truth of who Jesus is. And that's found in the Bible. So why do we teach at HTC? To be wise for salvation and to be aware that it's God speaking. Let's go back to verse 16. We should be back into our pew Bibles. It says that it is useful, all scriptures, God breathing, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness useful. I don't know what kind of things come into your head when you think of useful. I, I don't always think of useful in the most positive sense. I kind of want to be irreplaceable or amazing. But useful feels a little bit more like, well, we've got a new baby, Amy and I, my wife. We've got a new baby. She's about, she's about eight weeks old. And I really can't be that useful, to be honest, at helping out with that. And then, you know, it's that useful that is the, you're leaving the house and you say, Darling, is there anything I can do before I head out to be useful? 
praying that the answer is no, off you go. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> is that just me? There's not enough laughter there. That is not just me. I'm sure of it. Maybe I'm just being more vulnerable. However, I think the word useful in this context and in this passage has a, a lot more weight. It has a breadth and a depth of saying what should be done when we unpack the word of God. What, we, what should be done for somebody who is telling others, but, but also somebody who is receiving the word of God through teaching. It's full of depth. It's full of breadth. It's not the shallow way that I often, I think, throw the word useful about. So what is it useful for? In, uh, in 3 verse 16, teaching, rebuking, and correcting. And then if you carry on to 4 verse 2, Timothy's told to preach the word in and out of season, and then it's kind of added on with encu- how to do it, be encouraging, with great patience and careful instruction. But there is also an implied urgency to teaching God's word. Uh, the, the charge to do it in and out of season, when you're feeling it and when you're not when you've had a good night's sleep or the kids have been up all night, when it's been a promotion week or actually it's been a real struggle and you're coming with all sorts of stuff to church. My encouragement today and my encouragement every week is that it's important when we come to this time that we're giving it our best. We are ready to receive because it's important. We're ready to receive um, correction, as somebody might explain the error in the way we're living our lives. I want to say often the words that are said here is not what brings correction or rebuke or encouragement. It's the Holy Spirit that you have inside of you saying, this is what the Word says, and this is how I'm going to bring it to life in your life. So actually being ready with an open and humble heart when we come to this part of the service, as all parts of the service, is the key to taking correction well, to taking rebuke well, to be quick to be encouraged. And the role of the preacher is to show the way out when things are difficult. This is the problem. This is the solution, and to do it patiently and carefully. So pray for us. Pray for the people. I'm normally not preaching, but today I am. But pray for those who preach in our, in our church. Pray for those who teach God's word. It's, it's a responsibility. So but our response as well is to make a decision that in these times, we're a church that is shaped by God. A churchgoer wrote a letter to the editor of a newspaper complaining that it made no sense to go to church every Sunday. Gone for 30 years now, he wrote, and I can't remember basically anything from the 3,000 sermons that I've probably heard. I can't remember anything, so am I wasting my time, and is the speaker wasting their time in preparing? And this started quite some controversy in the section, letters to the editor, much to the editor's delight, um, until somebody wrote this clincher. Let me read it to you. I've been married for 30 years now, and in that time, my wife has cooked some 32,000 meals, but for the life of me, I cannot recall the entire menu for a single one of those meals. But I do know this. They all nourished me and gave me the strength I needed to do my work. If my wife had not given me those meals, I would be physically dead. But likewise, if I had not gone to church for nourishment, I would be spiritually dead. What's your expectation when you come to church? What's your heart as somebody listening to God's word? Oh, it's that person speaking today. I should probably check up on BBC Sport. Oh, we're in the semi-final of the World Cup and Wan-Bissaka's gone to Man U. Is that what's happening? Or actually, are we saying, I'm ready for a meal? I'm ready for nourishment. I'm ready to hear God's word preached, God's word taught. Because here at HTC, we don't want it to be about how 
amazing are preachers, although we have some fantastic preachers. We want to see what God's word is saying to us and respond, because that's where the authority comes from, from the Bible. That's why we have a Bible in every pew. That's why we encourage you to open it while we're preaching, to test what it is that the person up here is saying. Is that what the Bible says? Because that's the check. That's the most important thing. So why do we teach? To be shaped by God. We teach with, with urgency because salvation is at stake. For those of you who are committing to pray for Clapham Sunday, there should be some urgency in that. Salvation matters. It's an eternal thing. And we also teach because we want to be more like Jesus. We correct, we rebuke, we encourage because it matters to be shaped to be more like Jesus. We want to be challenged to be Christians who are shapeable, changeable, ready for every good work, assured, liberated, on fire, not naive that the world is trying to disciple us away from the word. It's not the word's fault. It's our own sinful heart saying, maybe what the world has to offer might be better, might be easier. Because I think half the time, without us even realizing it, the world is discipling us better than the word because we're not giving the word the time to speak. And that's why we should take warnings really seriously in the Bible as well. And we find one of these warnings in verses 3 and 4 of, of chapter 4. Paul's argument is for preaching in all seasons because he is aware of these warnings. A time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, will turn away from sound teaching, suit their own desires, look for people who agree with those desires, those itches, the things they want to hear, and they'll turn their eyes away from the truth and believe myths. And I wonder whether there's an order that these things happen. I wonder whether in this moment we're asking Holy Spirit to, to, to be flagging things in our own hearts of where we might fit on this at times. Our own passions and desires, the private desires that are not shaped by the truth of God's word, being put ahead of God. And then it gives rise to an itch in the ear. We only want to hear things that scratch where we itch. Only things that help those desires that we might have things that agree with us, and then even a conscious choice to turn away from the truth. We gather people around us who, who agree with us, even if actually they don't agree with the Bible. And then our truth, or the truth of God's word, is replaced by myths. And it's, it's, it was a problem back then. We see it in this passage. It's equally a problem now. If, we, um, if in your Bibles you look forward to verse 10 of chapter 4, there's a guy called Demas who says he loves the world. And I wonder whether, for us, accomplishments plus performance is what we equal as our significance in life. The things that we do, the things that we achieve, when actually our significance should be found only in our status before God because of Jesus. But yet, like, like Damas, we love the world and the things that it gives us. 4 verse 1, as I said earlier, is talking about judgment. There was a thing at the time where actually they basically weren't worried about eternity and they wanted to live for the now. I don't think that's changed today at all, really. If I mess up now, choose sin, choose second best, choose compromise or just not everything I have given to Jesus, does it really matter? 4 verse 8 reminds us that Jesus is the judge just after our passage and that one day he will judge the living and the dead. So let's realize that there's an eternity and teach to avoid focusing on the wrong things. And then in uh, chapter 3, verse 12, we're reminded that there's persecution just before our passage as well. Paul is writing this from prison. There was a kind of a, an understanding or an apathy to think that Christianity should just be an easy way. And I wonder whether we fall into that quite a lot in this culture as well, that it should just be comfortable. 
Teaching should shake us out of apathy. It should cause us to think deeply. It should, if we live it out properly, then we're set apart, which means we'll look different to our work colleagues. We'll look different to a lot of people in our family. We'll look different to those around us. I wonder if you're saying to yourself now, I never feel uncomfortable about being a Christian. I never feel a pinch. I never suffer. I wonder if you've gathered lots of people around you who are telling you what you want to hear rather than challenging you to be more Christ-like. We want to be shaped into the likeness of Jesus. We teach because of that. Teaching should rebuke us, correct us, and encourage us that living Jesus' way is not just a good thing, but it's the preferable thing. It's not just possible, but it's the best life, life in all of its fullness. We enter into this truth by discovering the truth of God's word who God is and who we are in God from his word, taught faithfully. Again and again, in the Bible, the spirit and the word go together. It's the spirit that takes the word and transforms it. Are we allowing Holy Spirit to do that in our hearts? This is why we teach. To be wise, to be aware it's God speaking, to be shaped by him, and to be equipped for every good work. So in discovering God's word, we lean into the truth of who Jesus is, We itch for truth and not myths, and we're equipped to do the work of an evangelist or a gospeler. In verse 17, talks about this equipping for every good work. 4 verse 5 reminds Timothy about discharging his duties. He would have been thinking back, and we can look back as well, in in the book of 1 Timothy 1 verse 11. when When he reads discharge your duties, he'll be thinking back to that verse when it's saying preach the gospel. I need to share the good news of the gospel discharge these duties, do the work of an evangelist and a gospeler. And that's what we are being told to do today as well. This truth is at the heart of this healthy ministry, that the truth of the gospel inside and outside the church, when preached, does the work of gospeling. Not just telling unbelievers how to be saved, but telling believers how precious the gospel truth is keeping them sound in its teaching so that our passions line up with the truth of God's word. Ultimately, the gospel is Jesus. We teach because we love someone, not a book, not ink on paper. That's not how we're transformed. We're transformed by the person of Jesus. So the Bible. This thing that we're teaching from, not not a book of rules, although it has rules in it, Not a book of heroes, although it has some heroes in it, a lot of them not so heroic, but ultimately it's a story of one hero, winning back a lost treasure. It's a love story of a prince who leaves his throne, everything to rescue the ones that he loves. That's you and me. And it's an amazing fairy tale that's come true in real life, and that's the best thing about the Bible, is it's true. And there are loads of stories, but ultimately they're all trying to tell one big story, because every story whispers his name. He is the missing piece of the puzzle, a piece that makes all of the pieces fit together. And suddenly you can see this beautiful picture because this is no ordinary baby. This is a child on whom everything depends. Martin Luther says it like this, the Bible is the cradle that holds the Christ. This child is God's son, Jesus, the one we know as the truth. And we enter into this story by saying yes to Jesus. Not a passive yes, 
but uh, I'm all in yes. Teach me more, Jesus, yes. It's a yes where we're saying we want to passionately believe that the truth of God's word, that Jesus has the power to transform and change lives. We preach here at HTC because that is what we believe. That the truth of who Jesus is shown in scripture changes lives. To see every life bearing fruit for Jesus. You are in a teaching church. Pray for those who teach. Put your posture of your heart to receive mode. Be open to rebuke, ready for correction, and quick to be encouraged. Decide today that you're going to crucify the myths that you're believing and believe the truth that crucified Jesus means we walk in. Why do we teach here at HTC? To be wise for salvation. To be aware it's God speaking. To be shaped by God. And to be equipped for every good work. But if we can grasp one more, I'd happily lose those for a while. Because most importantly, we teach to fall in love with Jesus. I'm going to tell one more story. I'd love the band to come up as I do. There's a, a preacher in the US that tells a story of a child called Billy. Billy had cerebral palsy, and he struggled to talk, and he struggled to, to walk. And in this camp, uh, all the other children there, they picked on him quite a lot. As a youth leader, that makes me feel very angry. And maybe that's how you'd feel as well. And they had each day, they had this devotional time where one of the groups would be in charge of that devotional time and they would, they would lead it. And Billy's group thought it would be funny to make Billy do the talk. And Billy staggers painfully and slowly up to the pulpit, up to the front, struggling to walk, people are sniggering and laughing, and he gets to the pulpit and he says, he says this, Jesus loves me, and I love Jesus. There are lots of people in America in pastoral ministry today who say that they first knew that they wanted to follow and serve Jesus when a child called Billy, a random summer camp they went to, said those seven words. It took him five minutes to say them. But what he has honed in on is really the truth of why we teach. We teach to fall in love with Jesus, and we teach to know how much Jesus loves us. Can I invite you to stand? Just before the band begins to play, we're just going to have a moment of silence to ask the Holy Spirit to be convicting us where we need conviction, to be encouraging us where we need encouragement. Maybe we know that we've had a, a wrong attitude towards the reality that it's God speaking. Maybe um, the Holy Spirit is highlighting an area of your life where we need to let the word of God shape it and not the world. Maybe we want to um, know God's equipping in an area of our life to live out what it is that we've been taught. Or maybe you just want to respond with simply understanding what Billy's just highlighted to us through that story. To know afresh that you are loved by God, 
and profess your love for him.